0: Hey Rafer. Hey Kristen. Can we talk about our favorite fairy tales when we were growing up?
1: I'm a I'm a guy. I don't have favorite fairy tales. Oh
0: come on. Nope. Don't be don't don't be so macho. Come nope. on. Really? Well, I don't really like I don't know. Is are fairy tales a guy thing? No, I suppose no. not. You guys like things like taking two rocks and hitting them together when you're kids? <laughs> okay, I Like I already run up the feel the stairs run down the stairs. Degraded. This is a stick. No, it's a gun. It's a stick gun. In this conversation. <laughs>
1: I was much more of a – well, but it's true. Uh, I was much more of a, like a Tintin fan. I was really – I loved Tintin, and I did like all cartoons, um, and I did like all the Disney cartoons, but I can't say that there were like any particular fairy tales that really grabbed me oh, as a I kid. Was,
0: I was wild about them.
1: Really? So I, like – You well, know, I think
0: I was kind of raised to be a stereotypical girl, though. I had lots of dresses. I had tons of Barbie dolls. hmm I had tons of dolls, period. I was raised to be pretty girly, and I'm from a family where all the women are pretty girly. Oh, okay. Makeup, hair, the whole thing. Oh, okay. Okay. um, But I love that. And then I had those books, you know, younger listeners, millennials and so on will not understand this thing. But there used to be these things called record players that you would carry around. And I'm not talking the fancy one that you have in your hipster apartment. I'm talking like, it was like in a little suitcase. Yeah, in a little suitcase. Sure, of course. Yeah. So I had this little suitcase record player.
1: Little one speaker on the side. Yep. And then
0: I had this whole stack of books that had 45s in the books. And so the books were read-along books. So I'd put the little 45 on my little record player and it would read me fairy tales.
1: And when it was time to turn the page, it would go
0: beep, beep. And then I would turn the page. And so I all of the Disney fairy tales in the read-along books with the forty-fives, ah. and the Cinderella one. I, I'm, I'm surprised that continued to play after so many. I, I would play that like eight hundred times a day.
1: So Cinderella was the big one for you. Oh, it
0: was my favorite. It, it was really hands it, down yeah. my very favorite. As it, it really is.
1: The fairy tale. It's. The, I mean, I think when you think of fairy tales, it's the first one you pretty much think of.
0: Oh, it's got all of it. It's got a beautiful regular girl. It's got a handsome prince who's going to come to the rescue. It's got an evil stepmother. Yep. That's pretty much what fairy tales are right there. All to- those things.
1: I, I totally agree. And of course, the Disney animated version from 1950 is pretty much the definitive version of Cinderella. Oh, absolutely, with all the songs. Of course. Bibbidi-bob- <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course. And, uh, and so here we are. It's this week. Disney is doing a live-action version of its classic fairy tale, Cinderella, which I think a lot of people may be a little skeptical about. Do we need a live-action version of Cinderella? I was one of those skeptics out there. Ah, you say was. But we'll see. But we'll
0: see. We'll see. We also have, what is it, Taken
1: 4? That's no, it's the- not <laughs> Taken 4. You keep calling it that, but it's not. The Taken series is, is ostensibly, it's over, but it is a Liam Neeson movie. It's run all night with Liam Neeson. I grant you, he is also, again, trying to save his child, but it's not taken (laughs) for. What else do we have?
0: We also have a movie called Merchants of Doubt, which is a documentary investigating all the ways that so-called scientific experts who appear on news shows, talk shows, in print, editorials, and so on, all of these scientific experts who we find out actually aren't scientific experts at all but maybe
1: they're being paid by axon indeed yes and for sweatpants this week we'll talk about a new hbo offering the jinx the life and deaths that's deaths plural of robert (laughs) durst it's the new uh project from andrew jarecki who directed uh capturing the friedmans
0: and we have a movie therapy question this week plus trivia but first let's introduce ourselves i'm Kristen meinzer Culture producer for the Takeaway,
1: and I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday, and this is Movie Date.
0: Since she'd been found by a dry
1: riverbed, cradled in
0: finest
1: silks and left for dead, soon she was known all around by the name a princess. All right, Rafer, shall we start with Taken Four? Let's start with Taken Four, but let's call it by its <laughs> proper name for Christ's sake, Kristen. <laughs> Run All Night. It's called Run All Night. It is the new Liam Neeson film. This movie is set in the world of Irish mobsters in New York City. Liam Neeson and Ed Harris play two kingpins. I guess you'd say Ed Harris more of a kingpin. Liam Neeson more of a washed-up hitman. Used used to be kind of a kingpin. Their sons both get in trouble. One man's son dies. Uh, The other son is alive. That's Liam Neeson's son, of course. Liam Neeson now has to try to protect his son from all the guys that used to be his friends he's got one night to try and see if he can fix this problem here's a clip i'm here asking for my son's life sean he's a good kid he's got a family he don't deserve this i'm the only one ever cared about you and all of that ended an hour ago when you killed my son i'm coming after your boy with everything i got i won't let you take him sean you got no choice
0: He just said the word taken there, though. Are you sure this is the taken (laughs) line? (laughs)
1: He didn't tell tell anyone to listen very carefully, so it doesn't count.
0: He does say listen carefully in the movie at one point, though, and I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Oh, my God.
1: Does he walk among (laughs) any
0: tombstones? (laughs) No, but there is a precocious black boy in this New York neighborhood, much like a walk among the tombstones. That's right. There is a somewhat somewhat
1: similar character. You're right about that. Uh, Okay. Well, so, Kristen... I'm just going to ask you, I know you love Liam Neeson. I do. Good cast here. Ed Harris, uh, Joel Kinnaman. uh, Joel Kinnaman is a Swedish actor who is um, good. There's something intriguing about that guy. He's been in the new Robocop remake. He's been in a Swedish film called Easy Money. Um, I think he's good. Uh, He hasn't quite found his breakout American role yet, but he plays Liam Neeson's son, um. So, uh, oh, of course, Vincent D'Onofrio as the uh, as the cop. What else? Yes, what else is he going to be? Right. And common, common as the oh, high tech yes. assassin, <laughs> Christ. So, uh, so good cast. What did you think, Kristen?
0: I am getting tired of this. You are. I am, and you know, it, it. As much as I love Liam Neeson, I'm just getting tired of this, and I felt that this was too much like a walk among the tombstones, but not as good. It was okay. too much like Taken, but not as good. It didn't have a sense of humor. It was just slow and dark. It's very serious. It's very serious, and I felt that it didn't have all the snap and punch I wanted to have. You oh, know? really?
1: I did. I thought it, I thought it had enough. I mean, if you're just talking about, you know, any movie like this is going to be, you know, drama scene, action scene, drama scene, action scene, and I thought those action scenes were actually pretty well done.
0: There are a lot of drama scenes of them just sitting across from each other, across. A desk or across a table having an overly long conversation about the politics of the organization and yes i just you know i don't want that i want You're you to be it. shooting i want there to be chasing i want there to be running all night not <laughs> sitting at a table all night in a diner and then being confronted by vincent d'onofrio i want you to be running all night i think run all night but run. i think
1: you've got a really good uh i thought a very good uh car chase scene in which uh, the roles are reversed a little bit Liam Neeson is the one chasing the cops uh, oh yes which yes. I thought was actually pretty good I think you've got a, a, a decent fight in a I think it's a bathroom subway I thought that was a, a, pretty, good, a pretty good fight scene the director is uh, I'll th- the,
0: the, I will give you that subway scene I like
1: yeah the subway yeah. was. yeah that was good um, um, the director is Jomé uh, Collette-Serra I hope I'm pronouncing that right he's the guy who did Nonstop. Uh, another you loved Nonstop. another Liam Neeson action film which I completely enjoyed you and I think this has got a little snap. I think one of the problems with the film is the script by a guy named Brad Inglesby who did Out of the Furnace, the Christian Bale film. Oh, which is not a good which movie. Which is a big, not a big masculine drag. It's a big self-pitying masculine <laughs> bummer, that movie. And this movie has some some elements of that. Um, as I'm sure you notice, Christian, there's pretty much not a single female around except for the wife who's like, hi, and then disappears. Honey, protect yourself. <laughs> Stay away. Get the kids. Get the kids. And get out of this movie. Wait. <laughs> um, and so, but you know, but here's what I want to say: I like that crap. I'm fine with it. <laughs> I had a perfectly good time. You know, look, we're, it's it's early March. There's nothing else out. If you're if you're a, if you're a testosterone-filled moviegoer and you want to you know watch some guys punching each other and you don't want any women messing things up. This is your movie. You know I thought it was kind of perfectly this okay. Is.
0: This sounds like the kind of date where you're just like happy that you arrived in a town and there's just one woman. You're just like, <laughs> you're like oh, well, at least there's somebody to have sex with here. You yeah, know what? Maybe she's not the prettiest girl, but she's a girl.
1: And you're paying 14 bucks for it. That's true. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I thought, I thought Run All Night was a perfectly fine, junky date
0: donkey the yeah. kind you find under a bridge of overpass. <laughs> no, I, I am not gonna
1: recommend s- the state. Bad, no. bad date. Not wow. a good date. Yeah, okay. skip
0: the state.
1: Well, I think the guys have already written this down. I think they're gonna, they're gonna go out and see this one. <laughs> All right. So, Kristen, give us the rundown, switching gears a little bit, uh, give us the rundown on Merchants of Doubt, the documentary.
0: Yes. So, Merchants of Doubt is a documentary that it's not going to surprise you necessarily to know this, that those talking heads talking about climate change on CNN or Fox News, it's probably not going to surprise you to know (laughs) that a lot of them are being paid by oil companies or some other sort of organization that represents big business that really doesn't want regulation and hates the federal government stepping in and charging them money for all the damage they're doing to the world and so on. So this movie's looking at some of those so-called merchants of doubt. And here's where the interesting part comes in. You go back and look at how they really came up into power with cigarettes first in the 1950s and how those powerful merchants of doubt switched our focus and switched the conversation so that, for example, with cigarettes, we no longer were talking about, oh, you're going to get lung cancer, you're going to get emphysema, you're going to die. You know what? You're going to die because your couch is going to be set on fire.
1: By your cigarette, by that's your right. By your
0: cigarette. So
1: It's they, the couch's fault.
0: It's the couch's fault. So they switched the complete public conversation to house fires, and they said, oh, Let's let's stop talking about cigarettes as potentially dangerous. Let's talk about people's houses burning down because yeah, maybe someone fell asleep with a cigarette in their hand, but whose fault is that? It's the couch's fault. And so they are so powerful. They managed to set it up so every piece of furniture in America pretty much is filled with these anti-flammable yeah these flame flame retardants yeah that, that are. So damaging to us, they cause fertility issues. Right. birth Defects that cause cancer. And so now we're just filled with all these chemicals in our homes that just sitting on these couches every day causes, you know, it, it compounds the damage that's already being caused by smoking the cigarette. So you're, you're smoking a cigarette and you're sitting on this couch that's going to kill you. Right. <laughs> Here's a clip.
1: The reason that we need the science to be wrong is otherwise... We realize that we need to change. That's really a hard pill to swallow, that the whole way that I've created my life is wrong, you're saying, that I shouldn't have this house in the suburb, I shouldn't be driving. And along comes some people with sowing some doubt, and uh, it's pretty effective because uh, I'm looking for that answer. I want it to be that this science is not real.
0: Merchants of Doubt is directed by Robert Kenner. And full disclosure for takeaway listeners... John Hockenberry's in this movie.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. He's in all films. He's also in the uh, Scientology, the, the Scientology film by, by Alex Gibney. Um, yeah, as if it's not a documentary unless John Hockenberry's in it. Yes. Um, yeah, I thought this film started out Pretty well. Uh, I loved the whole um, the whole explanation, just like you're saying, of uh, just sort of what these spin doctors wound up doing to the to a, a whole other industry, to a completely separate industry, the furniture industry and the pajama industry that had to be filled with <laughs> the you pajama know, industry, you know what yes. I, mean? I mean? it's it's and that's that's pretty interesting. And it's also interesting the way that Kenner, the director, um, sort of establishes that this was where the playbook came from. And then you can see, you can just lay that template over everything else that came afterwards. You know, over any other kind of problem, uh, you know, and of course, particularly climate change, any other kind of problem, you can see that. Let's just shift the attention yeah, over here. Sh- do, Let's not know, pay the, attention yeah. to
0: climate change. Let's pay attention to this. Exactly, instead.
1: exactly. And some of that's fun. And I think that the film also works best when he's got a, when he can basically pull out the smoking gun. You know, there's a, a couple of instances where they'll have some dude. On television, who's the representative for Citizens for Fire Safety? And then you know you go back and you find out that Citizens for Fire Safety has got three giant corporations as as the only people that are in it. And there you have it, right? This guy is a complete fraud. It's great because you have that you have that feeling whenever you're watching the television. You you think to yourself, who's that guy being paid for? And then to actually see, like, actually this sob is being paid by these guys, and I can prove it. And this guy deserves to be drummed out of town.
0: And some of these SOBs actually speak on camera and say, yeah, I lied. I did this. Yes, yes. And and they fully admit that's what they did. Yes. um, At least one of them says, and I had to leave that world. I just couldn't do it anymore.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a guy from the Cato Institute, which comes off looking pretty poorly in this film. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so that stuff's good. I've got one big objection to this movie. Do you know what it is? What is it? It's the fact that when all is said and done, it's actually – it's actually a movie about how yes climate change is actually happening and you need to help us stop it i feel like oh i feel yeah. like what ultimately happens is he, this this documentary has talked all about you know misdirection and then at the end i it's feel like i've been a little bit you. misdirected i kind Whoa. of feel like wait i didn't i'm fascinated by the idea of all these spin doctors and i love the i love that larger narrative but now at the end, now you're, you're basically been me. Well, now you're hitting me up to join your cause. And I, I kind of I I do want to say something about documentaries these days. And I feel like I'm a lone voice in the wilderness on this. But I miss the old days of documentaries where the filmmaker was not part of the agenda, where the filmmaker was not the advocate, was not the activist. The filmmaker was just showing you something and letting you decide and. Do you Nobody... really think that
0: time ever existed? Yes, I do. I mean Where, I, I mean well, well maybe but, but when I it's mean, like the... a, a talking head just telling you. And then in 1837 when the I mean, immigrants I, moved to
1: I know what you're saying but I'm just talking about, you know, the the uh, Albert Mazels, uh, you know, RIP Albert Mazels. Mm. The Mazels brothers they they didn't they didn't do that. They didn't, you know, they weren't advocating for you. They were you. just looking
0: at human stories or right. famous people. Or the, I, yeah. miss,
1: I miss that. It's a, it's an old-fashioned, you know, kind of But fusty. that's like a
0: cinema verite style that you're yes. talking about that they yes. did, too. And that's, which...
1: and that's gone. That's No one does that anymore. And I, I get—and it's, it's, it's instances like this where things are getting to be a little partisan, a little political. It's things like this where I really start to miss— that voice of objectivity, and so that kind of bummed me out a little bit. It's a small but crucial I can, detail. No, to I can me.
0: totally see where you're coming from, Rafer, but I also accept that there's no such thing as objectivity, even see, you're in documentaries.
1: Post, you're, you're postmodern. <laughs> you're postmodern, and I'm still just modern. That's my problem.
0: I think there's always going to be a social construct. There's always going to be an agenda, I and I totally I understand where you're coming from. It would be better if that. Didn't end on that note with the movie. Yeah, you can just walk out during the last, right before the last Ten fifteen seconds. minutes of the movie or something. You <laughs> right, know, yeah, right. And and yeah. because I I want to say one more thing about this. It's beautifully made. I just think it looks really beautiful. There's a lot of special effects in it. oh, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, there the way, are. Yeah, yeah, and, and just like the way one scene moves into another, and you'll see that all of these photocopies are being animated onto the screen. Yeah, these the graphics, documents the so graphics, on, if you will, are, are, really are nicely
1: good. done. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. so
0: I think it's actually a really beautiful. It, it reminded me a little bit of Errol Morris, like during the Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control uh-huh. days. I thought it looked really good. Uh-huh. So okay, so I'm gonna say Merchants of Doubt. Pretty good date.
1: I'm. I am going to say the same thing. I thought Merchants of Doubt was a was a a, a good date, um, but I feel like at the end of the date, it pulled a pamphlet out and handed it to me. That, I, I, that's I agree all. with you. That's I agree all. With but you. I still think it's. I still think it's highly worth watching. Let's talk about your favorite thing now, Rafer.
0: Fairy tales, princesses oh. and princes. I thought you
1: were going to say scotch.
0: Oh. <laughs> okay. Um,
1: yes, fairy tales, princes and princesses. Uh, Cinderella. So this is the new live-action version of Cinderella. Uh, from 1950, the animated classic has held up for decades, and now suddenly Disney has decided to give us the live-action version with a live-action cast. Uh, you've got um, Lily, Lily James. Lily James.
0: Kate Blanchett is the stepmother.
1: you got uh, really... You know, is has there ever been a better casting choice in the world? Pretty much not.
0: Never, never. Richard Madden, who plays the prince, who
1: plays the handsome prince, exactly. Uh, and so, I guess I don't really need to tell you the story of Cinderella, but I will. It's the story of the little girl who is uh, is being uh, abused and oppressed by her wicked stepmom and her two stepsisters. There's a, a prince in the kingdom nearby. The, the king decides we're going to hold a ball, invite all the eligible maidens to the to the ball so that the prince can find his true love. But Cinderella is not allowed to go until she meets her fairy godmother. So that's the basic setup that has not been changed. Everything there is still the same. There's still that
0: glass slipper.
1: Exactly. So yeah. all that stuff is still the same. But now you've got this live-action cast, including also Helena Bonham Carter as the uh, fairy godmother. Here's a clip.
0: They treat me as well as they are able I'm sorry. It's not your doing. Nor yours either, I'll bet. It's not so very bad. Others others have it worse, I'm sure. We must simply have courage and be kind, mustn't we?
1: So, Kristen, you said you were one of the sceptics. About this film,
0: I was, and I just loved the original 1950s version. It's so great. much. and I thought, do we really need to remake this? And how awful is this animation going to look? I don't always like the CGI stuff, and, right? You know, I just right. I wasn't sure about it. And no, it didn't need to be remade, but it's very well done the way it is remade, and it actually, while staying loyal to the original classic, adds some nuance, adds some layers. The characters. Yes. Have much more going on. It's not just that Cinderella's sweet and beautiful, and she gets rescued for those reasons. It's that she's decent. She's good. She's kind. She's brave. Yes. And she's forgiving. There are two scenes in the movie where forgiveness factors in very heavily. Yes. And I ended up crying both those times. Did you? Yes. (laughs) I totally cried both those times. And the prince... He has a little bit more to him rather than just being a handsome guy on a horse. Yes. He actually has a relationship with his dad that is complicated and that gets resolved. And yes. the way he and his father love each other, I thought, was very sweet. You don't yes. get to see a lot of that in the movies because the prince doesn't get to be a character usually. In this movie, he, he actually gets to be a character. Yes. And that's nice to see. And as you were saying, Kate Blanchett, is there ever been better casting? I mean, oh, God. She is so... Good. She's
1: so great. She's, she's so, so great. Her, her eyes are her eyes are just you know uh, <laughs> she's you,
0: all sharp edges and oh god and and stern looks.
1: You remember in the original she had a cat named Lucifer and and Lucifer was was Lucifer was almost you know almost one of the major villains in the original <laughs> uh, in the original Disney animated film and I almost feel like Kate Blanchett has somehow embodied the soul of Lucifer and you can see it in her eyes. She's got these cat like eyes and they kind of they kind of flicker with that kind of cat like cruelty when a mm. cat's got a mouse in its paws god she's just so good and oh lily james is just radiant she's
0: unbelievably beautiful she's
1: so good she's so
0: gorgeous and she just whatever's coming off of her it's like yes, fairy dust there's something is. about her that's just like pure magical fairy dust that's it coming is. at you of of decency and kindness and beauty and oh she's so wonderful i do have to say i wish the prince was as good looking as her
1: Oh, you think? Oh, really? You know, I see. That was kind of hard for me to tell. He just looked like your typical kind of prince charming, prince guy.
0: I just wanted him to be as gorgeous as her because she's so radiant and she's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah, and,
1: she's 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 really something in this movie. Um, uh, Downton Abbey, uh, alone, yes, right? Lily yeah. James.
0: If you if you watch Downton Abbey, you might recognize her. But, yeah, yeah. And I I really love this. I didn't expect to, but yeah, I did get misty a couple of times in it. I, I thought it was smart and. I think people who don't even necessarily like fairy tales or didn't even like the animated version, I think they're going to like this one.
1: Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think one of the other important things in this movie is the, there's, there's, there's a, a demographic shift going on, I think. The, the original Cinderella was really for kids. It's, there's a lot of the, the cat, the dog, the birds, the mice, the horse, a lot of animal humor, a lot of time spent kind of playing with these little creatures, and there's there's almost none of that. There, Gus Gus, the little mouse, does make a, an appearance in the new <laughs> one, and he, he he does have his moment. But um, this is much. This is a, this is a slightly older Cinderella. It's rated PG, I think, mostly because of like some scary scenes. Nothing untoward, but um, you can tell that it's kind of it's geared more for let's say, tween girls, I think. There's less kind of little kid playtime and much more romance, uh, I think, in this movie. But I think that works really well... I think the script by Chris Weitz, the guy who did About a Boy, the script is just beautiful. Yes. And Kenneth Brownick's direction is just like golden age of Hollywood good. It's just – it's so lovely. And that ballroom scene oh, I just yes. think is magnificent. Um, and I loved it. I just loved this movie from top to bottom. I thought it was great.
0: So did I. I loved it too.
1: I'm so glad. I it was who who would have thought that we'd both agree on Cinderella? I,
0: I know. I I'm, thought it was such a good time. All right. I'm
1: so glad. Well,
0: stay with us because after the break, we're going to have a great sweatpants pick for you this week. And we're also going to be diving into some movie therapy for a listener who is looking for some help with a family situation. Stay with us.
1: I'm Rafer Guzman. And
0: I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. And it's that special time, isn't it, Rafer?
1: It certainly is. You're wearing sweatpants. It's Monday. do mind the Queen of England. I don't know. Does the Queen of England only wear sweatpants? When you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants. In your room.
0: Ooh, these pants are so stretchy. Are you comfy? I'm comfy, and I'm not getting off the couch. I'm going to sit in front of this dumb box here. Let's watch (laughs) this dumb box, Rafer.
1: Not so dumb this week, I would say. No,
0: and you know what? I should never call it a dumb box, because TV these days, there are so many smart options with TV, and I'm just blown away by all the things that are on right now.
1: It's so true. It's so true. There's a a brain drain, I think, and it's all going towards television. (laughs) You know?
0: So this week we have somebody who, for people who like documentaries, might know Andrew Jermucchi's name. He did Capturing the Freedmen's, which is one of the best documentaries I've seen in the last 15 years. Easily. So good. And Capturing the Freedmen's looks at the case of this man, this family man, prominent in his community, who gave computer lessons to all the neighborhood boys, right? but who may or may not have molested all these boys. And it's such an interesting film because you don't know what's true and what's not throughout a lot of it. And I would highly recommend Checking out that DVD if you can, because the DVD has all these special features on it. Yes. And the animation and the way that DVD works. Don't, don't get on VOD if you can get an actual DVD copy. It's amazing. It's, yep. it's quite a DVD. But this week we're talking about a new, would you call it a mini series, Rafer?
1: Yeah, sort of a mini series documentary, a six part documentary called The Jinx, The Life and Deaths of Robert Durst. That's deaths plural. Uh, For those of you that don't know the name Robert Durst, he's more familiar here in New York uh, because he is uh, the heir to the Durst real estate fortune. The Durst organization is one of the biggest real estate companies in Manhattan. They own massive, massive buildings all throughout New York City. and. Robert Durst, uh, years and years ago, married a woman, uh, seemed to be a perfectly happy marriage, moved out to Vermont, He opened up a health food store, things didn't work out, but it was no big deal. Um, And then one day his wife vanished. And it seemed as though Robert Durst might have had something to do with it. And then Robert Durst vanished. And then he showed up again uh, somewhere else in the country after somebody else had vanished. And so it was sort of this Kind of odd thing, why was this phenomenally wealthy guy with the uh, proverbial silver spoon going around uh, seemingly committing all these horrible crimes and also committing other odd crimes that like stealing sandwiches yeah, like stealing a sandwich <laughs> while he was on the lamb um, and then getting arrested for it for stealing a sandwich. Who's ever been arrested for stealing a sandwich? And, but, of course, Robert Durst was. And then somehow, somehow, he just never, none of this ever quite stuck to him um, in, wow. in, in, a, in, a, in a way that still is just completely baffling. Um, anyway, uh, Andrew Jarecki of Capturing the Freedmen's made a dramatic film based on the Robert Durst story with uh, Chris, Kristen Dunst uh, Ryan, Gosling. Ryan Gosling, Frank Langella he made a dramatic version of the of the story and then got a call from Robert Durst who said you know, you and I should sit down and talk for an interview and so they did and here's a clip of The Jinx She thought I was good looking in my little way, cute or whatever it was and she was very outgoing and social and got along with people real good. So it was perfect because I don't get along with people. Most people don't get along with me.
0: So what I think is interesting about this is it's kind of riding on the coattails of serial in a way. So A little bit, yes. Um, I think you're right. So I'm sure everybody who listens to Movie Date has heard of the serial podcast from This American Life. Serial, which is an investigative uh, journalism podcast where the journalist herself, Sarah Koenig, is a part of the story. She's investigating and her thoughts are in there and so on. And this kind of does the same thing. Jarecki is a part of the story. He's not just objectively outside the story. Like you want, Rafer, (laughs) an objective documentarian. (laughs) He's actually inserted in the story. He's actually a character himself in it. But it is mostly focusing on Durst and how is this guy getting away with all this stuff? And it's clear he's getting away with stuff.
1: Well, it's, 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 it's extraordinary. I mean, you know, uh, one of the first things you'll see uh, in, in the very first episode is um, the parts of a body that surface in Galveston Bay, Texas, uh, that have been uh, chopped up with uh, a bow saw. Mm-hmm. And they track down uh, all this stuff, and they track down the the purchase of the bow saw. They 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 figure the whole thing out where where it was purchased, all everything, all
0: like in twenty four hours. Yeah, yeah, they do an amazing <laughs> they job. Find blood, they find fingerprints. Right. They have it all nailed down.
1: They they pull over, they pull over Robert Durst, and in the back of his car, he's got the bow saw, <laughs> and yet it just it's it, your jaw begins to drop even from the very first episode because you think wait. They pulled the guy over, and in the back of his car, he had the bow saw, and yet he's not in jail. This is not a jailhouse interview that Andrew Drecki is doing. No, indeed. They're just sitting around in a nice, uh, comfy room, talking in two chairs like any two people would. It's completely amazing. It's a fascinating, fascinating story. Um, did you did you like the way that this story is being presented? Because it's this is very, very um, slick and kind of—
0: there's real cinematography yeah, here. Yeah, very. There's it's music. dramatized. There's, yeah, there are reenactments, but not reenactments where they're acting like not Hello, tacky, No, or, they're
1: they're very ta- they're very they're tastefully tasteful done and but, subtle. So you'll yes. see
0: like silhouettes of people. You'll see the back of somebody walking. Right. You know, in shadow, and you know, it's, it's as subtle. a real
1: as a as a real person is narrating, and, and as a real person yeah. is telling their story, you will you will see these um, these uh, reenactments. I, I think those are really tastefully done. It's very slick, extremely high production value yeah, for Yeah, this for isn't a documentary. like watching
0: 48 hours no, or 2020 no. investigates. This isn't like that, which those shows are fine too, but this yes. is this is not that. This is clearly filmic. This is big budget. This yes. is probably you know, my boyfriend actually said he's like the opening looks just like True Detective. Totally. Okay. <laughs> no, it's,
1: they've they've completely. Uh, 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 well, I was going to use the word sexed it up, but which is not quite what they've done. But they, it's 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 slick. It's very glossy. Yeah, you know, it's, it's been, very it's, glossy. Yes, and, it's and, been Hollywoodized or, or, or televisionized.
0: Yeah, and at the same time, they have real audio clips like from phone conversations. They have real like.
1: Oh, of Durst's wife. Oh yes. Boy, she's great, isn't she? Yeah, she's great. <laughs>
0: They have yeah. all these great, you know, elements in there that are like, wow, I can't believe they had this document and they had this document and they had this all on tape already. And, yes. And that and that stuff's great. So yes. I have to say, I got so sucked in. I can't help but recommend this, even though it can be nightmares.
1: Yes. This is a six-part documentary and uh, HBO is not – Uh, giving out the final episode to journalists. So we could not watch the final episode, but it does air this coming Sunday on HBO. Uh, So we'll all have to sit and see uh, what the upshot of this is with the Robert Durst story. The decades, decades old since the 80s, Robert Durst has been doing this fascinating story. I really enjoyed this.
0: So everyone, our sweatpants pick again is The Jinx, colon, The Life and Deaths of Robert Durst on HBO.
1: What seems to be the trouble? Can I confess something? I'm
0: just trying to tell you about my feelings.
1: He's been depressed. Help!
0: This week for Movie Therapy, we have a listener named Katie who wrote to us on our Facebook page. Listeners, remember, you can always write to us at facebook.com slash podcast. You can call us. Rafer loves it when you call.
1: Much better when you call. 5717movies. <laughs> seven, seven
0: yeah. Give us a call or write to us with your questions, with your life issues. We'll do our best. We'll prescribe you a, a prescription of movies that you can watch to help you through what ails you. So Katie wrote to us, Rafer and Kristen, I was hoping you both could suggest some movie therapy for me. I am adopted and recently came into contact with my birth mother. It's been interesting. She's very eager to get better acquainted with me and for us to meet. However, I'm not as enthusiastic as she is. I'm finding it all awkward and somewhat difficult to connect on such a personal level like she wants. I was wondering if either of you knew about movies that have dealt with this kind of situation and or ones that might help me understand more of where she is coming from. Any suggestions would be greatly appreciated. Thanks for the ever entertaining podcast, Katie. Katie, thank you, first of all, so much for writing. And that's such a great question. And um, as a lot of listeners know, I'm adopted myself. Yes. And so I understand um, some of the things possibly that you've thought about that you've gone through. Um, and not not that I could ever identify completely with you. You have your own story. I have mine. But uh, thanks for writing in with that. There are a lot of movies out there that have dealt with adoption over the years. Lots and lots and lots of them, both documentary, feature, and so on. So Rafer and I have a mix of different movies we're going to recommend right now. And Rafer, your first one is answering that question of her birth mother's perspective, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, I thought it'd be good to watch Philomena, the film with Judi Dench and Steve Coogan based on a true story. Uh, Philomena is a woman who had given up her child and is trying to find that child now. She's being prevented from doing so basically by the Catholic Church. And Steve Coogan plays a journalist who's going to help her track down her now grown son. Here's a clip.
0: How do you feel about that, going to America with Martin? Uh, I, uh... I don't know.
1: I, I could come with you if you like. No, 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 you have your work. I'm only worried that Martian will have to go a lot way with a daft old woman like me. I don't think you're daft. I'll go away with you. Or old. I think I would like to go. I'd like to know if Anthony ever thought of me. So I've thought of him every day. It's a really, really good movie. Uh, a great screenplay uh, by uh, Steve Coogan. And I think what might serve you well for this movie, if you haven't already seen it, is uh, that you get to see the story from the side of the mother. And I'm sure that your birth, birth mother's story may be different than Philomena's was. But you do get to see this kind of yearning for a reconnection and how important it is to her. So that's our first, uh, our first movie therapy uh, prescription for you.
0: Our next recommendation is a documentary called Daughter from Denang," And this profiles a woman who is half Vietnamese, half white American. She's raised in the US with her family that's adopted her. Her family's white. She tries her best to fit in, tries her best to be like all the other white kids in her town and uh, like her family. But she always feels a little disconnected. She always feels that she doesn't look the same as everyone else. And she doesn't. She always feels that she's not the same as everyone else. And she's not. And she tries to track down her biological family in Vietnam. And when she meets them, things don't go as expected. Rather than them apologizing or explaining or sharing why they had to place her for adoption in the first place, they say, thank you for coming back. Now you can fulfill your obligations and help support us. We sent you to America so you could have a better life and then come back and do your daughterly duty. And that's not what she wanted. She didn't want to be treated like this is some sort of Financial transaction. She wanted things to be treated in a more emotional way, in a way with um, some connection that didn't have to do with obligation, but with actual, you know, story, with history, with love. And it's such a heartbreaking, amazing film. And I highly recommend that everybody watch this, whether or not you're adopted. It's just an interesting story that you're not going to see anywhere else. And It'll tap into all sorts of different feelings you might have within yourself, with your family. Again, whether you're adopted or not, it's just fascinating. Daughter from Da Nang.
1: And you've got another documentary that you wanted to recommend.
0: Yeah, First Person Plural. Now, this is another international adoptee story. And Katie, we don't know what your story is, if you're an international adoptee or not. And maybe all these movies might not be quite the thing you're looking for. But um, First Person Plural is another one, this time with a Korean adoptee raised in the States. And... um, I don't personally love this film, but it's award-winning. A lot of people love it, and here's why I don't love it, but why a lot of other people do, because this is somebody who, again, feels disconnected and uh, goes to Korea to find her biological family, and in searching for her biological family, in a lot of ways, she turns her back on and becomes very resentful toward the family that raised her, and I think that all of these complicated relationships that she has and how she treats different people in the movie, it makes me really uncomfortable and not really love the movie. But so many people I know who I respect do love the movie because they think it's showing a more complicated relationship with adoption than most movies are brave enough to show. So That's interesting. So I, I think that first person plural is worth seeing as well, even though it makes me kind of mad whenever I watch it.
1: Interesting. Uh, I'll, I'm going I'm to have to check both of those out. Um, so, uh, Katie, as a final recommendation, uh, we thought we'd recommend a movie about a young man who's been adopted, um, doesn't realize he's been adopted until uh, kind of you know later on, and much much later on in his life. And when he realizes this, he has to go out and seek his own fortune, find his own identity, uh, make his own way in the world. We're talking, of course, about the Jerk, starring Steve Martin.
0: love The Jerk.
1: Here's a clip. It's your birthday and it's time you knew. Naven, you're not our natural born child. I'm not. You were left on our doorstep. But we raised you like you were one of us.
0: You mean I'm going to stay this
1: color? <laughs> Naven. I'd love you if you were the color of a baboon's ass. You mean I'm going to stay this color? Uh, so yes, his parents are black and he's his white. His parents are black he's white, which, of course, was hilarious back in the late 70s, early 80s. No, not so much, probably. The joke probably wouldn't be quite as funny. Um, but I still think, uh, for all that, it's a great, great comedy. It's hilarious. It will certainly lighten your mood. And I do want to say that the relationship between Steve Martin and his adoptive family is quite tender and oh, uh, is, and, yeah. and in some ways quite moving, and that and it ends with a reunion that I think is um, joyous and hilarious and just a lot of fun. So there are four prescriptions for you, Katie.
0: It's that time now. Time what? to end things with trivia, Rachel. Trivia. Yes. Trivia, you say. It's that time. Let's do it. All right. So last week we were talking about – The retirement years, we reviewed the second best exotic marigold (laughs) hotel. Yeah, the second best,
1: second (laughs) hyphen best.
0: And we played a clip of a movie for you on that same theme of life and retirement. We asked you to identify this clip. Here it is. So you want to assist an old person?
1: Yep. Then I'll be a senior wilderness explorer. You
0: ever heard of a snipe? Snipe? Bird beady
1: eyes every night it sneaks in my yard
0: and gobbles my poor azaleas. i'm elderly and infirm i can't catch
1: it if only someone could help me me me, i'll do it oh i don't know it's awfully crafty
0: lots and lots and lots of you wrote and called in this week but we can only randomly select one answer here it is
1: hi Kristen and rafer this is lawrence rand the optometrist in harrisburg pennsylvania Calling in with the answer for this week's uh, trivia quiz. Couldn't resist calling in because it's a Disney film. It's up and it stars Ed Asner. Love your show. Thank you so much for all that you do. I look forward to hearing the next episode. Thank you. Bye. That's right. It's the movie Up, the Pixar Disney movie. And Lawrence,
0: the optometrist in Pennsylvania. Oh, Thank you so very, much for calling very in. Very
1: clever, Lawrence, sneaking that plug in for your optometry business. There in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, there folks. There you go. For <laughs> all your optomet- optometric I don't know what that word is. Optometric <laughs> needs? I don't know how to say that. Uh, all right. This, uh, this week for trivia, we've got another question. Uh, we were talking about the documentary Merchants of Doubt, about the tobacco industry, the cl- climate change deniers, uh, spin doctors. We thought of another movie about a merchant of doubt, a spin doctor, if you will. We're gonna play a clip. Here it is. And right there, looking into Joey's eyes, it all came back in a rush. Why I do what I do defending the defenseless, protecting the disenfranchised corporations that have been abandoned by their very own consumers the logger, the sweatshop foreman, the oil driller, the landmine developer. The Baby Seal Poacher.
0: Baby Seal Poacher?
1: Even I think that's kind of cruel. Sneaky. Sneaky. If you know that clip of that Spin Doctor movie, give us a call, 5717movies.
0: Or you can message us at facebook.com slash moviedatepodcast. The summer's here and
1: all my days go out.